Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, this passage has been controversial to some people. It's actually been misused by people over the ages to allow governments to do evil things. And people will take this passage and throw it in the face of Christians. For example, the Nazis used this passage to tell the German church that they should go along with the Nazi regime. Now, we know that it's a lot more nuanced than that. So, this passage makes no bones about it that Christians are not to be anarchist. Anarchy is not part of the Christian message. And so, this is a difficult teaching for many people when they hear this at first. Realize, if you get upset today, don't get upset with me. Get upset with the Apostle Paul. And then in turn, get upset with the Holy Spirit because he inspired this passage. So, this is God's Word, and we are called to submit to God's Word, and sometimes that's not popular. And in this current climate right now in the United States, as we do this reading, it's kind of funny, these readings have been mapped out for a long time, but this is very timely because... There are groups of people right now calling for destruction of any type of social order. Uh, They're calling for anarchist behavior. And I will just say, quite frankly, that's not Christian at all. Anarchy and destruction of any type of order and peace is actually anti-Christian. And in some ways, you could go so far to say that it's anti the very message of Jesus Christ. And I'll get to that in just a minute. You may think, okay, wait a minute, you're, you're going too far there, but... I want you to hold on and just listen to the teaching of Scripture and let's take it and see what the Apostle Paul is trying to say and then we can try to apply that to our current situation. So let's just think about what Paul is saying here in the situation there in Rome. This will be during the reign of Nero. And so this is not some really uh, Western-style democracy in Rome. This is a dictatorship. So you would have the, the Roman emperor, you would have the senate, You would have the consuls, you'd have the local magistrate, and you would have the Roman army itself. You'd also have local police forces. Uh, So you have a social order that's a lot different than what we have today. In the ancient world, things teetered toward anarchy and not too much government control. You know, today we worry a lot about government having too much power, having too much say. Well, in the ancient world, it was the opposite problem. Many cities were always... uh, on the edge of erupting in anarchy and total disorder. So you have really the opposite problem going on in places like uh, provinces of Rome. So when you read this, this we've got to read it from a first century perspective. And think about this, how radical. I want you to just think how radical what Paul is going to say today. You need to understand this. Rome, they are considered the rulers of this age in 1 Corinthians 2.8. These are the ones who crucified the Lord of glory. They have imprisoned believers. They have exiled believers. Even Origen, who was an early Christian, his father had been executed by the Romans in in the persecution. His mom basically saved his life by hiding his clothing so he wouldn't go to try to be with his father when his father was executed. Origen said this is very disturbing, Romans 13. He had a hard time with this passage because of his own personal experience with the Roman Empire. So with all that in the background, realize that we're talking about the ancient world. Realize we're talking about the Roman Empire. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. 
And this is what he has to say. So let's read our passage. This is the English Standard Version, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But because of this also you pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to respect is owed, and honor to honor is owed. Now, this sounds radical to us, even in the 21st century, that Paul would say something like, the government is God's appointed minister. So in some ways, the government is ordained by God. Now, we know it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where uh, we are told when Noah comes off the ark uh, that when someone takes a man's life, a life made in the image of God, someone must take the life of that person, what we would call the death penalty. And many would point back to Genesis early, like Genesis chapter 9, and see the institution of human government. So we know that when we look at Scripture, there are three divine institutions. I don't want to simplify this too much, but we, we need to for for the sake of the length of a podcast, I know this is a nuanced argument, but three divine institutions are the family, that's the first, then government, and the church. And what people have noticed the ages, Christian scholars who have studied scripture and the Jewish text and Hebrew thought, that when societies are operating at their best, those three spheres of responsibility of family, government, and church operate in harmony. One doesn't overlap the other. So, for example, the, the, the church has the discipline of excommunication. They can disfellowship people from the flock. The government wields the sword, according to the Apostle Paul. Now, this may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but Paul there is not mincing words. The bearer of the sword in the ancient world, that we find this in papyrus, that's the sword that the police, what we would call the police, would carry with them. That is to kill people with. And I know that is very touchy for us right now. Uh, but there's this idea of capital punishment. So you've got the church which can excommunicate people. You have uh, the government which wields the sword. And you also have the family which has the idea of discipline of children, children respecting their father and their mother. And when you see a society where all three of those things are working properly, you find a society where people are, are less sinful. Let's just be honest. Uh, they're more faithful to God. Now, I'm not talking about their personal salvation. Only God has a say over that. The church doesn't have a say over that. But we don't have juvenile delinquency in, in a society like that. You know, in America, we look around and we see a lot of children are out of control in our schools and other places. We see that uh, there's anarchy in some of our cities where parts of cities have been taken over by the citizenry. 
So Paul is saying that this is not a Christian concept. Christian people crave order and peace and love and harmony in the common good. We want a peaceful society. So Paul makes it clear that we are to understand the place of the government, that the government actually is the avenger. Now this idea of the government being the avenger goes back to chapter 12. You have to go back and read chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, where Paul says we're not to take vengeance as Christians. That's God's role. But God has also appointed the government to do that for us. So vigilantism has no place in Christian culture. We should push back on this idea of vigilante justice. I know the movies are always entertaining when someone is hurt, whether it's Liam Neeson as the actor in some of those movies he plays in where there's retribution against someone that has hurt his family. And that's entertaining and it's exciting to watch. But as Christians, we're, we should not be big fans of vigilante justice. Mob justice? I mean, just think about some of the horrible things that have happened uh, in the South with lynchings and things like that. We as Christians should be abhorred by those kinds of things. So the government, when it's acting justly, is the one that brings about that type of vengeance. Now, vengeance is not a bad thing if God can do it. You know, We're told in Scripture that God will avenge us our wrong. So vengeance itself is not an evil thing. We're just not to do it as human beings because typically when human beings seek justice or seek revenge themselves, they don't know the whole story. They don't know everything that's happened. And many times we go way far, farther than the offense in our punishment. So this idea of a civil order, of paying taxes. Now, when he gets to verse 7, this this is going to touch... Uh, Many of us, because a lot of us as Christians are kind of wired in this conservative framework. We, we don't like the idea of paying taxes. And I do think sometimes taxes can be abusive and actually can almost be like theft of the citizenry. Nero had enacted some tax policies when Paul wrote this that were not very popular. And Paul tells these Roman Christians that, look, don't get up in these uh, tax revolts that many of the Romans were getting into. He also does not want this growing anti-Roman rhetoric to come into the church. Um, in, Jude in Judea, we know from the writings of Josephus what's called the fourth philosophy. There's a lot of people that are, that are pushing back against the Romans, and so there's this rising anti-Roman sentiment. And so Christians who have a lot of Jews that would be part of the church could get caught up in that. And so Paul is saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Now, let's talk for a minute. Now, you may be thinking, okay, what about civil disobedience? What about when the government oversteps their bounds? And when you look at this, there is this sense of the government is to punish the bad and basically celebrate the good. And folks, that's not always happened with government. Even in our own nation's history, even today, there are certain laws that are unjust there are certain laws that are really evil in a lot of ways. We as Christians would look at uh, some of the rulings from the Supreme Court over the years and how they've gone really too far with things like abortion, calling it some type of constitutional right uh, to privacy. We would look at Obergefell and some of the rulings on, on marriage and family, and we would recoil and go, that is against God's will. So we have to be nuanced and think through these things. 
how do we deal with civil disobedience? Well, there's one rule that really reigns supreme. John Stott said it best. I love John Stott in so many ways. He was brilliant. He said, Whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's law, civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. So Stott is saying when we have laws that government has enacted, we as Christians, it's incumbent upon us to be disobedient to those. Now, how should that look? Well, we as Christians, if we want change in governmental policy, we, we don't want anarchy. We don't want to totally torch the system. I can't help but think of Martin Luther King Jr., who was really theologically steeped in this Christian tradition. If you go back and look at like his letter from the Birmingham jail and, and kind of his thought world, he went about taking on unjust laws. A lot of the things that you saw with the Jim Crow era and things of, of just racial prejudice, it was built into our law code, which is kind of hard for us to fathom. But through his nonviolent protest, boycotts and other things that he did, he changed a nation's mind. He changed the entire nation's mind about this. And you got to think about it. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act, I mean, you had a country basically capitulate and go, okay, we were wrong. We were wrong about this. And how did he do that? He did it through a peaceful protest. But there were goals in mind there. So when we as Christians look at things that we find to be unjust, whether it's been racial prejudice, whether it's been uh, unjust laws, where it's been mass incarceration, whether it's been abortion and marriage and those kinds of things. We're not calling for the torching of society. We're calling for change of specific things. I think we have to really think through these issues as Christians living in this world. So when we consider God and government, it is a very nuanced position. Now, I want to bring to you another passage from another writer from Peter in 1 Peter 2, 13-17 to kind of fill in a robust Christian view of government. So listen to what Peter says. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for, for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free yet not, using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So once again, there's this idea of respecting the governmental authorities and doing what is right. Typically, and this is not always true. I know there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, so please hear me out. Typically, if you do what is right, if you do what is right and you obey the law, you will not be bothered by the government for the most part. That's been true throughout human history. It is those that do evil. It is those who seek trouble. Folks, if you seek trouble, you're going to find it. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. So if you are rebellious in, in your thinking, if you're constantly looking for some type of conflict, you're going to find it. So Paul and Peter are telling Christians, because Christians were a suspect group. They were an illicit religion in Roman society. And so what they're telling Christians to do is do not call attention to yourselves and cause trouble for yourself. We want to share the gospel. We want a peaceful and loving society where the gospel can reign supreme. Now, Paul has issues with the Roman government. Don't get that wrong at all. 
in Paul's theology, we don't have time to go through all of this, but if you want like a sketch of Paul's theology, his view is that God's kingdom will win. God's kingdom, through the permeation of the gospel throughout the entire society, Christ will win. One writer said that, that Nero and Christ met in the arena and Jesus Christ won. What's funny, this is something that you'll find ironic and that I find is, is kind of funny, that in English society, and this tradition has been lost, like so many things that were good has been lost today, but in English society, it was common for English people to name their dogs Nero or to name their dogs some type of first century Roman emperor, and they would name their children biblical names like Paul and Peter and Mary. Uh, and the point there is God has overturned things with the kingdom. Those evil dictators went down uh, in the dustbin of history, and Christ reigned supreme. So when we look at this, Paul is not talking about zingoism, some type of, you know, just following blindly evil dictators and leaders. There's a long tradition of how God has used evil people in the past to accomplish good. I can't help but think of Nebuchadnezzar. You can go back and read about these people. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus. We're even told when the Jews went into exile in Jeremiah, they are to work for the good of Babylon. Now that seems crazy to us in so many ways, but that is how God has operated throughout history with his people. We're to be salt and light. We are to be like leaven. And when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, we will bring a better and a just society by living out the commandments of Jesus Christ, no matter what the consequences are, standing up for justice when we need to, having courage, but also sharing our faith and bringing other people to Jesus Christ. So as you could see from today's podcast, this is a very nuanced, a very complicated uh, teaching. We need to remember what Paul is saying. The basics here, you can't run from this. You can't throw this away. We as Christians are not called to be anarchists. We're not called to be troublemakers. We are called to be obedient when we're supposed to be obedient to the governing, governing authorities. We do see injustice. We are to stand up to it and call it out for what it is. But we're to do so, I believe, in a peaceful manner. Now, we could talk about when Christians should take up arms and is there a place for armed rebellion, and that would make for a, a very long discussion because there are some a lot of good Christian teaching about there when that would be the proper thing to do. But as you read the Apostle Paul, this, this is radical. This is not easy. But don't be mad at me. Be upset with the Apostle Paul because this is his teaching through the Holy Spirit. Well, I hope this podcast has helped you with the difficult subject, God and government. Wow, is it ever difficult. Wow, is it ever timely for right now in this country as we think about, do we want to be a people that are anarchists? God forbid, I would think. Well, I hope you have a great day, and I hope to see you back tomorrow as we tackle more of Romans chapter 13.